So to begin uh, today's journey through what God's love can handle, I want to take up the subject of guilt, and I want to use Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 to guide us into our understanding of the ways in which God's love can handle uh, guilt in our lives. So just follow along with me. Uh, There's an insert in your bulletin or there'll be text on the screen behind me and we will go through Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, if you are trying to motivate a group of people, what are your choices? Let's say you're a coach. What are your choices? You gotta find out what motivates them. What if you're you're not that deep? Fear, Fear. you're darn right. And I had some coaches that I feared, right? What else do people use to motivate others to get done? What's that? Rewards. There's a concept. Bribery, right? Okay. Anything else? What about in parenting when we're not so great? I'm not looking at you, Jen. Just, you know, you're a great mom. Nothing, exactly. Exactly where I was going. Nothing, nothing's as convenient as a guilt trip, right? I mean, it's so easy. You just grab that low-hanging fruit and make your kid feel like dirt, right? And maybe that gets some results. At least they get their room cleaned up, right? 
which no promise of reward or encouragement or even fear in some cases really works. What's that? Or your car. That's beyond hope. Yeah, this is hope. Your car is out there. Yeah, we're not going to go there. If you ever need to feel better about yourself, just trade cars with Sean for a day. It works wonders. You just get in and you're like, my life is great. I, I am okay. <laughs> Didn't you have to borrow my truck once and I wound up in that whatever that was? Yeah, that was awesome. I just felt better about myself immediately. Um, you're a ministry, Sean, to others. It's beautiful. Oh, from the youth kickoff paint? I don't know how that got there. Hmm. All right. So you can look at parents. You can look at totalitarian governments. uh, You can look at coaches. You can look at anyone who's trying to get results from a group of people. And you can find all kinds of positive and negative motivators. The one I want to talk about today is guilt. And I would argue that at least in our culture, guilt is still a fairly powerful motivator. Uh, Some people have kind of simplified Western culture versus Eastern cultures and said things like, well, Western cultures are guilt-based and Eastern cultures are shame-based. Like an Eastern parent would be more likely to use shame to get their kid to do what they wanted, whereas a Western parent would be more likely to use a guilt trip to get their kid to do what they wanted. And there's, there's some truth to that. It's not, a, it's not a universal black and white fixed thing. But I think as Westerners, we are acutely prone to the prodding of guilt. We respond to that. People who are trying to motivate us know that, and they can use that for their advantage, I guess you would say. In an ideal world, if we are parenting rightly, if we are coaching well, if we are leading others in a way that is glorifying to God, what is the place of guilt? It doesn't really fit in the picture. And I would argue that part of what Paul is setting up here is a call to look at life, at what motivates you, at what compels you in the absence of guilt. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You do not ever have to feel guilty again. That doesn't mean you won't be guilty of a few things, but the the sense of condemnation has been dealt with on the cross. And what does it look like to parent or to lead in any capacity in the absence of guilt? The, The answer is love. 
Love is what should compel us as parents or coaches or leaders of anyone uh, to do what's right and good on behalf of those who we're charged with caring for. And so let's just try to journey through what Paul is saying here. And I'll, I'll begin with this call to step into true freedom. That's where Paul begins. Romans chapter 7 is a powerful articulation of internal conflict between our sin and the righteousness we have in Christ and the fight that ensues between those two parts of ourselves. And then he sort of stops abruptly and says at the beginning of what we call chapter 8, this is his next thought, he says, hey, there's no condemnation here. You can live without guilt being a driving motivator in your heart. You can live without letting other people make you feel guilty or feel bad about yourself. You are free. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lift your head. Look up. God is smiling upon you and he loves you, and he understands you're going to make some mistakes, and it doesn't impact his love for you. Claim your new status. You are in Christ. You are covered. You are cleaned. You are free. Lift your head, look up, and realize you've been renewed. Live by a new law. Paul goes into this discussion that's probably lost on most of us in, in our culture. The, the Jewish community to whom Paul would have been speaking in part, or he's really speaking out of the context of Judaism. Paul was a very devout Jew before he came to Christ, and he was very aware of the sense of obligation to fulfill the law, to obey God's law, to be good. And he, he comes to this realization of what God has done for him through Jesus Christ and forgiving him, and then he's from that vantage point able to say, there is now no condemnation. We live by a new law. We had the old law that was very behavioral, and there was, a, there was, you were either guilty or not guilty in, before the law. And we have a new law. It's called the law of the spirit, not the law of the flesh. Not the law of trying to comply, but rather the law of being driven by love. And so, we are to step into this freedom to lift our heads and see the light. See the light of God's love in our lives. I would just venture to say, on a Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m., you're probably not thinking about the light of God's love. You have other things on your mind. You have other pressing matters before you. You're either in a math class, or uh, you're at work, or you're dealing with some other uh, aspect of reality, 
uh, a screaming kid or whatever the case may be. And Paul says, we need to stop every once in a while and realize that the light of God's love is actually shining down upon us, even though uh, we feel like doing terrible things to that toddler at that particular time of the day, we are loved, we are free, we are part of this new equation for life. And to see the light means to realize that Jesus has taken care of our sin that he has dealt with this, it is done. Part of his final words on the cross were the words, it is finished. And we have to live in that truth that we are no longer condemned, we're no longer determined as to whether we're good or bad based on what we do. Who we are is determined by what Christ has done for us. And so, to recognize that Jesus has taken care of our sin and that we have a new guide for life. This is first alluded to in verse 4 of Romans chapter 8 that we are now led by the Spirit rather than by the flesh. And I'll just, I'll use the, I'll rephrase that for you and just talk about the flesh as our appetites, our desire to satiate our own appetite. And Paul goes into this uh, sort of dialogue back and forth between the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit and how that plays out in our everyday lives. But we begin by stepping into the true freedom we have in Christ. You're forgiven. He is finished with his cleansing work on your behalf, you can lift your head and live in the light of God's love. Then Paul goes on to tell us that we need to stop, and I'm going to use a strange metaphor here, we need to stop standing in our grave. He says that the life driven by the desires of your flesh is death. How do I want to say this? We are comfortable in a place where we know how to navigate. We know the rules. Where we know that A plus B will equal C. And that we know what is expected of us. And if we can pull that off, we, will, we, we think we will be okay. And Paul says that entire equation is out the door. It's, it's a recipe for despair for you'll never get out of that weight unless you look up and see the light and walk out of that pattern of being driven by the flesh and your own ability to fulfill yourself so to stop standing in our grave Paul tells us means to stop following our appetites, to stop being driven by the flesh. There's, I'll, I'll phrase this in verse, the first part of verse five this way. Our appetites will never bring us satisfaction. 
You cannot fill a God-shaped void by going out and trying to take care of yourself. It cannot be done. We've tried, and we keep trying, and you probably have a few thoughts that relate to yourself in that regard. Paul says just step out of that cycle and realize it will never bring satisfaction nor fulfillment. This pattern will only lead to frustration. And he he talks about the futility of following the impulses of your flesh. I don't know about you, but I need to hear this. I need to sort of break that cycle of taking care of myself, in a sense, and wait to allow God to move and fill me with his spirit and bring true satisfaction to my heart. And so this call to stop following our appetites, and he gets stronger, and he says, stop resisting God. The person who lives by the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible. So he sets out these two polar extremes of living by the flesh or living by the Spirit. And we are called to, I guess, make a choice. But it's really not a one-time choice. This is a continual battle that is before us all the time. And think about, you know, if we want to go back to uh, me as a parent, um, how much easier it is to reach for the guilt or the fear than it is for me to motivate my kids by love. And let's be clear, sometimes love just doesn't cut it. Am I wrong? No. The parents of toddlers are nodding in agreement. There are times when either we don't have enough of what it takes to love through something or the kid just isn't going to be compelled by love and grace. They need a a stronger uh, impetus, if you will. The choice is continually before us. It's a tension. And I think if I understand God's word correctly, he actually likes to have us living in a state of tension where it's not real easy and it's not really clear and it's not always simple. But there's a tension. And when we are in that tension, God knows we are most prone to turn to him for help. To say, I can't do this. Everything in me wants to just spank this kid a third time. And maybe that's not the most helpful thing for this kid at this time. And so, that we step out of that grave, that pattern, that cycle, that cannot please the heart of God. And we step into true life. Paul says that this this step out of the grave is a step into 
our freedom in Christ and what it means to truly be alive. This is not an easy place to get to, and it's not an easy place to stay because everything that you bring with you in terms of your own personal baggage will want to drag you back into that hole. And yet, Paul presses on to tell us that we are to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Let me just be clear. I always feel uncomfortable preaching about this because I am terrible at following the leading of the Holy Spirit. God feels like God has to use a spiritual two-by-four to get me to follow. I and probably most of you are more comfortable following what's familiar. There is nothing familiar about the Holy Spirit. I can just tell you from experience, He is completely unpredictable. And He doesn't care about what I think is the, is the best idea. He wants to lead me into the unknown But that unknown is always a place where one can find or will find true joy and freedom and satisfaction in Christ. And so the tension is real, but we have to begin by opening ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to his presence. What I love about this truth is Paul emphasizes that the Spirit is already yours, Because of what Christ has done, his spirit is within you. And so as we open ourselves to that spirit, we can live from a whole new mindset. God's will versus our will. On a great day, those two things converge. On most days, I have very different ideas about what God should be doing. And so the tension continues, but we are called to live from a whole new mindset that's not driven by guilt, fear, or shame, but that's driven by God's love and led by his Holy Spirit. This opening of ourselves to the Holy Spirit is difficult It is uncertain, and yet, Paul reminds us, it will bring rest to our souls. How does he say it in the second half of verse 6? Let me read this for you again. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That's a promise. That's powerful. Life and peace as opposed to frustration and death. All right. To step into true life means to open ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it means to trust that which God has placed within us. That is Christ's righteousness. Paul alludes to this in verses 9 and 10, I do believe. Um, that Christ's righteousness is yours. I'll, I'll 
revisit that verse real quick. But Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's the radical shift that Paul has made from his drive to fulfill God's law and be righteous in his own strength to stepping out of that truth or that battle into the truth that Christ's righteousness is actually given to us. We are righteous not because of how well we behave, but because of what Christ fulfilled on our behalf. As I've been sort of referring throughout of this whole thing, I, I do not natively feel like a righteous man. I, I don't wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, there's a righteous guy. I, I actually know, and my wife is very helpful in reminding me of this, I'm a selfish jerk. I, I really, I, I'm not just saying that. I'm really good at selfishness. Um, but what's mind-blowing is that I actually can look in the mirror and say, there is righteousness in that man's heart. Not because of how good he is, but because of what Christ has done for him and given to him and deposited within him. That is a massive shift. And that is where we can say we have freedom. We're out of this rat race of performance to become righteous, and we're in the place of righteousness because of what's been gifted to us. And so God wants us to live in that freedom knowing that Christ's righteousness is within us and that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within each one of us. So where our sin drives us to frustration and death, God says, I've got this. I've, I've covered this. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're mine. And what raised that dead body from the grave will raise you from your own sin into life and peace and joy eternal. And so, in everyday life, in parenting, in any relationship, we can live in the freedom of knowing that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We are covered, we're forgiven, we're loved, we're free, and we can relate to others on that basis rather than on the old basis where we turn to guilt and fear and shame to get what we want. So take that truth into your hearts. Let God speak that over you today and throughout the week ahead that you are free, you're forgiven, you are loved. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word that you call us out of those places that we return to so easily. And you call us into a new life 
of freedom in the Spirit. Lord, that we could be led by the impulse of your Holy Spirit rather than the impulse of our appetites. That we can do what is right in your eyes because we know we are loved and forgiven and free. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us to live these truths out in every aspect of our lives. We give you thanks for all that is ours in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.